0: Bless this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God, and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the division of the priests and Levites, and for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service, and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps, with the weight for each lampstand and its lamp, and the weight of silver for each silver lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand, the weight of gold for each table for consecrated bread, the weight of silver for the silver tables, the weight of pure gold for the forks, sprinkling bowls and pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, the weight of silver for each silver dish, and the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense. He also gave him the plan for the chariot, that is, the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and sheltered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, David said, I have in writing from the hand of God upon me, And he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God, for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are are ready for all the work in the temple of God and every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command.
1: Well, it's been a great uh, reunion time, hasn't it? Some thrilling uh, stories. Wasn't it amazing to hear about um, uh, what Andrew shared from the students' work, how how the the work amongst the international students managed to get to the very highest levels in uh, in Zambia? Wasn't that a thrilling story? Wasn't it great to hear of the Irish folks who heard... uh, came to trust the Lord and that couple in Lyme Regis last night we heard who trusted the Lord in 1994 but came to tell the team years later now they're in Christian service so it is tremendous isn't it to see what God and to hear and to see on the screen um, uh, there what God has been doing and hundreds of children enrolled uh, for the PBC and lots and lots of people visiting our website even now Who knows, there seems to be about, it's a hundred a day or so. So it's great to be able to be in a conference where we can see and hear of the Lord at work. The title for my session is um, Handing on the Baton. Handing on the Baton. And so before we think about that, let us just bow again in prayer and ask God's help as we think of this issue. Father, we thank you. For all your blessing, for all your goodness, and for all your help thus far. And once again, dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd speak to us through your word and help us, Lord, to uh, run the race with patience and to work for you. So be with us and come amongst us and bless us, each one, as you see we have need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in May this year, they had the World's Longest and biggest relay race. Do you know where it takes place? Anyone know that? It is in Norway. Do you know how many teams? 2,300 teams and over 33,000 competitors. I used to run the relay in school and the one thing that you're not allowed to do is to drop the baton. And uh, of course, uh, needless to say, Uh, in uh, some of our relays that's exactly what we did do you're disqualified if you drop the baton you've got to hand it over to the next runner who takes it on to the next leg and of course the work of the Lord Jesus Christ the work of the church from Calvary right until the second coming is all about running with the baton and then handing it on to the next person in the race, the next generation. Parents need to hand on the baton to children. Church leaders need to hand on the baton to the next generation. Do you know any churches near you which are only a few older people? Sad, isn't it? We need church leaders, those of us involved in leadership, You can't start thinking about this too soon. Handing on the baton. What about the CU? They change every year, the committee. And you've got to hand on the baton to the right people. It's very important. And uh, someone may be handing on the baton to you. In the work of the Lord, we've got to be ready to take it. Well, in the Bible, there's a lot about handing on the baton. Moses handed on to Joshua, Paul handed on to Timothy and he told him he was going to have to hand on to others afterwards. And here in this passage, this is David's last major speech. It makes the point that he got to his feet. He perhaps was quite infirm and elderly at this point. He'd not been well or whatever. And this is the, this is His final uh, point, his final speech. David hands on to Solomon the baton. So we're going to look today at what did he hand on to him. And in this chapter, we see three things. He handed on to him an unfinished task, building a temple. He handed on to him a solemn charge. And he handed on to him a wonderful promise. And it's good to know. We not only have an unfinished task, the task of evangelism. We not only have a solemn charge to live a holy life. But we have a wonderful promise that he will not fail us nor forsake us. He will be with us all of the way. So let's look at those three things together. Now, am I the only man here in the audience who's got a job at home that's been waiting to be done for a considerable length of time? In our house, there is a room. It is called the attic. And for years now, (laughs) I have been meaning to get down to that attic and sort it out. It is an unfinished task. I'm sure I'm not the only one. The setting here at Jerusalem was that all the important people were there. This was the the beach mission reunion of the Davidic kingdom. Everybody was there. And all the stewards and captains and uh, leaders and the valiant men. And David rises to his feet. And he makes a confession that not many of them would know about. I wanted to build a temple. But God said no. It wasn't for me. God had shut that door uh, on David's guidance, as it were. And he'd made, although he wasn't allowed to build it, he'd made tremendous preparations. It seems all of the wealth of his kingdom and a lot of his personal wealth had been stored up, even down to the nails, to get ready for this temple. It was going to be magnificent. And all of his efforts and all of his mind appears in the last uh, period of his life on getting ready for the temple. He wasn't going to do it, but it was going to be for Solomon. And so he got ready uh, and he gave to Solomon the plans. We see that in the chapter. God's by spirit had revealed the plans to David and he gave him the plans. And he was handing on to Solomon the task of finishing or starting and completing the building of the temple. He'd started by making preparation, but it was Solomon's job to finish it. Now, it's a tremendous hymn we've just sang. Frank Horton was a missionary uh, with the China Inland Mission, as was, in the 1920s. They needed, at that point, an extra 200 missionaries for the surging needs of the Chinese mission field. He was editor of a magazine called China, China's Millions. And he wrote this hymn in order to stir up people to offer for missionary service. Having done that a few years later, he himself went back uh, after after there'd been martyrdom, people had started to get persecuted and two American missionaries were, were beheaded. He himself went back and he stayed there almost till the last moment in the 1950s through the wars, through the communist uh, takeover and so on in order to work in difficult conditions because the task of evangelism was unfinished. And you know, you and I also have an unfinished task. The task of worldwide evangelism, the task of reaching our contemporaries our generation the people who are in our family our street our city our country perhaps beyond our world for the lord jesus christ each generation takes this pattern each generation of christians takes it from the previous one and our job is to run faithfully with it and hand it on to the next one and uh, this has been going on, of course, since the Lord Jesus went to heaven and gave the Great Commission. It's our unfinished task. It was great to see over 900 on UBM this year. We've been praying for an increase in numbers, and it's great to see that. But, you know, we could do more if more could come. And my challenge, folks, is not just can you come yourself next year, but can you bring another And I say the word bring because it's so much easier if you don't just say, you go there, I'll go here, but you come with me. Is there someone you can think of, that you can think of now, that you could bring with you, take under your wing, and, as it were, get them involved in the work of the unfinished task of evangelism. And then what about, we're going home now today to different situations, family, church whatever, what about the folks around you? What about taking the task of evangelism to them? I was challenged, we had a great time here at the YL Centenary, and one of the things that came out of that weekend was um, the next 10 card. And what it is, it's a challenge to write on a list of 10 unconverted friends whom you pray for and with whom I'm seeking to share the gospel. I've got my names there. I'm praying for them. One of them has actually become a Christian. So that's great. Um, and well, you know, I, when you're pr- praying for people, opportunities come. Uh, she didn't become a Christian through me. She had another contact. But I heard from her that she'd become a Christian. It's a Chinese um, lady at work. She doesn't go to our church, she goes to the church, she's become a Christian. So, the prayer, yes, the step of leading it to Christ was someone else's joy. And you know, that could be the case for you. Can I challenge you to, to pray? And then opportunities may come from you or from another way that that person, those persons are converted. Do you ever have an evangelistic service at church? You should do, you know. And, uh... If there's one, what about inviting others? Every time there's an evangelistic service, they may not come, but you can pray and you can invite. And if we all did that, I'm sure we'd have more stories to tell this time next year of people who are converted. What about your family? Are they all converted? Do you pray for them? Why not this year pray that the Lord would save someone else? in your family if they're not all converted. And uh, am I speaking to someone here? Wasn't it tremendous to hear about Brandon and Julia who are going to leave this country, all the comforts and securities, and they're going to go to live in the desert, to live in the third world, and to work amongst people sometimes who won't always be easy people, Sometimes there'll be hostility. There'll be misunderstanding. 90% Muslim. Was it 1% who are Christians? And uh, millions, literally millions, who've never encountered the gospel. Although there are more Christians than there there has ever been, there are more people on earth than there has ever been. And therefore the task is as big as it has ever been. I wonder, is there someone here, and the Lord is speaking to you, that you should go and take that torch and carry it to a dark place and burn for Jesus. It's an unfinished task. Verse nine. David, after he explains to the people about um, the task that he's entrusting to Solomon, he turns to Solomon. And he says these words to him. He gives him a charge. Now, just to explain what a charge is, and I was trying to think, when we got married, I remember we we, kneel, we knelt. The minister made us kneel. And he spoke to us. He gave us a charge, gave us our instructions. And someone said, well, that's what you've got to get used to when you, uh, when you get married. But um, in those days, that's how they did it. Um, Sometimes when a minister takes over of a new church, he gets a charge from another minister, a set of instructions. Paul said to Timothy, I charge you. This is it, Timothy. This is what you've got to do. And David did that to Solomon in verse 9. He says this. Solomon, my son, I want you to know the God of your father. Serve him with a perfect heart, a willing mind. Um, For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take heed, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Know the Lord. That was the first thing David said. To Solomon. And you know, before we think about the task of evangelism, we have to be the people that God can use. Do you know, a surgeon uses the sharpest tools to make the incision. And if we want to be used in the work of evangelism, we have to be the people. God wants us to be to know the Lord what does that mean it's got the idea of knowing him with our mind but also the idea of loving him Adam knew same word Eve his wife intimacy and love Solomon was charged to know the Lord how do we do it would well, you know I'm indebted to the while for another reason that they put me onto the reading scheme And I've never been able to get off it. It's uh, uh, read the Bible in a year. You know, can I recommend, folks, uh, this is a great one, but there are others, to read the Bible every day and to have a plan to get you through the whole of the Scripture. We had a great time at Clandidno this year. And our youngest team member, uh, Christian Wise, is... uh, uh, a man he's only been converted 18 months and on uh, the Sunday morning he texted his wife to say he didn't feel very able and very capable um, that night in the open air we asked him to give his testimony and he a, he's a, was in the marines and as he was telling about his time in the army a man on the bench I was doing the questions a man on the bench sat up he was in the marines and he would contacted him pre- earlier that day. And those two chaps had a great, uh, you know, rapport, on, uh, things in common. Uh, and he'd had some problems in the, in the forces that Peter was able to relate to. And later that same evening, our youngest Christian, on his first day on UBM, that he nearly went home because he didn't feel up to it, led the other Marine to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing what God can do, Christians on that team of 56 years standing, God used the 18-month-year-old to bring the soul home, and wasn't that wonderful to see that? But one of the questions I asked Peter on the on the I said, Peter, do you read your Bible? He said, Yeah. Have you read it all? He said, Yeah. 18 months as a Christian, and I challenged the other members of the team. Uh, you know, folks. You'll be very embarrassed if you get to heaven and you're walking along the golden streets and you see a man with a long beard and you introduce and he says, I'm Haggai and you've never read the book. (laughs) Make it your aim by this time next year, folks, to have read the book all the way through. God will bless you as you read his word. Know the Lord. Serve him. Uh, The first time we get that word is in Genesis. God put man in the garden to to dress it or to serve the garden. What's the idea? Daily work. Daily work for the Lord. So David is telling Solomon, you've got to know the Lord through his word. In fact, as we heard today from, from Brother David, the king had to write it out by hand, the word. He didn't just have to read it every day, he had to write it out. As part of his task. And daily service for the Lord Jesus Christ was, uh, is, 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 is a good thing. It's right for us to do that. Every Christian should have something that they regularly do for the Lord Jesus. There's such blessing in it. The Lord pays good wages. Let me put you on the spot, folks. Do you have a regular task for Jesus? It might be something small. It might be handing out the hymn books or doing the garden for the Lord in church or teaching a Sunday school class, whatever it is. But you know, there's lots of things that we need to be done. Do you have a daily task? Solomon was told he had to serve the Lord. Seek him. The idea of seek, inquire, to speak with the Lord. And of course, we need to be those who pray and seek his face every day. We've noticed as a couple and as a family and as an individual as well, those days which are most difficult, and you do get them, often we haven't prayed together. And it's it's so obvious, but it's so important uh, to start the day with the Lord in prayer. Can I recommend another recommendation? A weekly prayer list. You know in the new quiet time diary there. There's a, uh, there's, a, there's a prayer list. And you pray for something different. Each day of the week. To keep you on track. And to focus your prayers. Another great blessing to me this year. To write down things that are specific. Each day. And pray for them. And then to look back. Over the month. I was amazed. At how many things God had answered. And I hadn't noticed. till I looked back. And of course, what does that make you do to give thanks? And it encourages you to pray more because we have a God who answers prayer. Can I encourage you a practical thing to write your prayer requests out, to pray them and then to review them and see how God is answering your prayer. Tim Moore shared with me a lovely illustration about a family, um, mum, dad and three children, six, four and three year old girl who went to the beach. And because they were it's a story told by Patricia St. John, the famous Christian author, uh, because they were going to the beach, they were only allowed to bring one toy. So six-year-old brings a toy, four-year-old brings a toy. Three-year-old b- brings a doll called Esqui. Esqui was an Eskimo, but its hair had fallen off, and it was in a bad state, really, but it was a special doll. For this little three-year-old girl. They go to the beach in Wollacomb. And of course on the beach they make a castle. For Esky. And they put eski in the castle. And they go and get involved with something else. And guess what happens? The tide comes in. Esky gets washed away. And by the time the little three-year-old has thought about it. It's too late to save Esky. And uh, the tides come in washed it away. So mum says, well we'll go home. And we'll pray about it. And we'll come down. They pray about it that night. On the beach first thing the next morning. No sign of eski. Oh dear. Three year olds very upset. That night they go back home. And they pray about it again. And this time. Third day. They're going down to the beach. Mum, dad, three children. A big dog comes up. Children are frightened. Mum sees something in the mouth of the dog that's been on the beach. And guess what it is? A little Esky. The final part of the story is this. Uh, even uh, Patricia St. John says this, In case you think that this story is too good to be true, I want you to know that that three-year-old girl was me. <laughs> she learnt the value of answered prayer as a three-year-old, and then went on to, uh, to do great things for the Lord. Do you know, David says to Solomon, David who proved the value of prayer so many times, he says, seek the Lord, and you and I, let us seek him. Let us be those who daily, doggedly, determinedly pray. Take heed, he says. Consider, was the version we heard before. The idea there, looking out, and being careful we had our resit examinations last week at the university I've got some books to mark when I go back examination but the Bible encourages us to be those who examine ourselves each time we come around the Lord's table we're to be those who search our own hearts to see if we are genuine to see if there's any sin anything that needs to be repented of and we need to do that you know as a discipline we need to examine ourselves regularly we had a missionary uh, who served the lord in thailand good friend of some here actually tony howarth he's with the lord now when he first went out to thailand he went to the market and he saw a lovely pair of shoes And he thought, so cheap? He bought them. And uh, he thought they were great. He thought they were great leather shoes. He was doing okay till he looked at the label and it said, genuine lava. Genuine leather. So he knew he'd been counterfeit. Take heed to yourself in order that we don't trick ourselves. We need to be those who are genuine. (laughs) And I think serious about our Christian life. Uh, God does want those who are in this. Not It's great to have a laugh and fun and games. But, you know, serious for the Lord. There's a time to be serious, isn't there? And seek Him. Be strong, he says. The idea of being tough or hard. Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness. There is a time for us to just be Accept difficult situations and difficult conditions for the sake of the Lord. Wasn't it encouraging to hear about Tim's dad, age 70, going to the backwoods of Kenya? Won't be easy, but doing it. Enduring hardness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be those who have a mindset that it can be difficult in the Christian life. We are in a war and we need to endure hardness. There still are Goliaths out there, people who come and defy God, ideologies and other things, great sins and temptations, and we are called to fight. We are born to battle. And we do have to have that mindset. And young Solomon, who was only a teenager, as David hands on to him, this charge is commanded to be strong. Do you know the last one? Is very, very easy. The six-fold charge. Do it. Just said, be strong, he said, and do it. Great to plan evangelism. Need that. Great to prepare for it. We do need that. But you know, when all the talking's done, we've just got to get on with it, and we've just got to do it. You've got to do it, and so have I. And there's no substitute We're just doing what we know to be right. An unfinished task and a solemn charge and now a wonderful promise. Verse 20 David said to Solomon his son be strong and of a good courage and do it fear not nor be dismayed that comes many times in scripture for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of God. It is a threefold promise. He will not fail us. He will not forsake us. And he will be with us. When it says the Lord will be for us. It doesn't just mean he's on our side. It doesn't just mean. He's acting for us. Our God dwells within us. He's with us. He's for us. He's alongside us. And he's inside us. What a wonderful promise that is. Failure. Is not in his vocabulary. He never fails. And he will not forsake you. And when we go forward in the work of evangelism and in the work of leading a holy life, the same God who is in the valley of Elah with David is the same God who's with us, who's for us, and who's in us. David wrote a psalm before a battle once. The psalm was Psalm 27 and the enemies were many, they were the Philistines. And he wrote this psalm and the first line is this, who shall I fear? Who shall I fear? Just who are those enemies with such a God on high? Who shall I fear? And, you know, we can ask ourselves, whatever we might be afraid of, maybe you're afraid of something, maybe there's a situation or a problem or, an, or something, you know, who are these enemies? Who are these Goliaths? Who shall I fear with such a God on high? The God who saved David is the one who saves us. This promise is repeated over and again. Joshua 1, Hebrews 13. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. And that's a great promise to us. We serve a saviour who's given us an unfinished task to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He wants us to lead a holy and a godly life. He wants us to know him, to serve him, to seek him, to take heed to ourselves, to be strong, to be doing it. But he himself has promised to enable us to be with us, to be for us, and to be inside us. This was David's last speech. Solomon, very shortly, was to begin the work. The temple took seven years to build. He enlisted 153,000 Gentile laborers. Bible students, note the number, think where else it comes. 600 Jewish overseers, and he built a temple that was absolutely magnificent. It was the wonder of the ancient world. The whole of Israel were involved, and it was a great public works scheme, and it lasted seven years. When it was finished, lavish and glorious, Solomon himself assembled all of the church, Israel, and he himself stood before the Lord. Thousands of burnt offerings had been offered on the altar. And um, the fire of God fell from heaven upon the first one. And the glory of God filled the temple. Jesus said, I will build my church. For 2,000 years he has been doing just that. One day it will be finished. You who are builders will be bricks, part of it. And the temple will be complete. It will be magnificent. It will be glorious. And God himself will take residence In his people forever. He is coming back. He is coming soon. We need to be those that whether he comes and we see him or whether he calls us home, we're living for him and working for this task. I'm asking you to say no to lesser things and to say yes to living for Jesus. And working for him as he enables us. Amen.